Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, where we're all still hoodats and we still love our New Orleans Saints, and Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, where the Little Rock Vet Center has reopened in West Little Rock. The Vet Center is a community-based counseling center that offers a wide range of services to veterans, active duty military members, and their families. Their new location is 10800 Financial Center Parkway, Suite 175. There's also a call center open 24 hours a day at 1-877-WAR-VETS. That's 1-877-927-8387. Thank you for joining us for Episode 43 our first episode of 2020. Tonight, we'll talk about new developments and the status of some of the cases we've covered on the show during our first and second seasons. We'll also talk about some of the cases we'll be talking about in what remains of Season 2 and look ahead to some of the cases we'll cover in Season 3. We are a live show, and calls, as always, are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. And Happy New Year, Michael. Happy New Year, Lisa. I'll I'll tell you this much. I certainly can't wait to uh, get into some of these cases because, whew, I mean, some of them, I've already looked at the list, and I just I automatically remember everything about it, and I'm like, wow. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, there are still a few more in my brain that I just haven't put on the schedule. Right. But I also right. want you to uh, I want you to have some input in this process because <laughs> I feel right, like I'm right. always choosing the cases. <laughs> well, I think we got a, I think we got a pretty good one coming up uh, in February, so or in, at the end of March. So definitely, I think I think we're we're at a good spot. We're at a good spot now, Lisa. I think uh, yeah. we can get we can get a thing filled out. Oh yeah, for sure. So, um, well, let's get on with the updates. Um, we've, we have covered a lot of cases when I was looking at the, at the schedules. I mean, uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal, we've got Christopher Dunch, Leroy Jake, Leon Jacob, Tukey Williams, 
uh, even though Tukey from Beyond the Grave apparently did not want us to do that. <laughs> because we had the technical difficulties with his episodes. <clears throat> yeah, we've we've had quite a bit of technical difficulties this uh season. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um so but we'll 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 power through and muddle through and We've looked at Avery and Dassey and interviewed Michael Griesbach and Ken Kratz, and who were great. Um, we had Megan Clement on DNA. Mm-hmm. Sharon Blanchett, Vicki Edwards, and Terry Hobbs. Mm-hmm. Commander Garnon from NOPD. Kelly Blackburn from the Swearingen case. Joe Nevels, and by the way, Joe Nevels has won an Eclipse Award. Which really? is like the thing in horse racing for an article that he wrote about uh uh Michigan track that was closing. Hmm. Uh I'll email a copy of the article to you or, or, or face send it to you on Facebook. Yeah, he, he won an Eclipse Award for that article. It was great. Okay. Okay, <clears throat> definitely. Send that um, to me. So I don't I don't I don't I don't know if he's too big for our humble little show now. Because <laughs> I will probably, um, I'm not going to try and do a, a show uh, in January for Pegasus on horse racing because we're going to be talking mm-hmm. to Dr. Langwa and Mr. Amo again next week, and we're going to finish our our conversation with them because it was so uh, in, it's so interesting. But right. uh, I might see. I I think I might see if he's going to be a, if Joe's going to be available for the Kentucky Derby, Preakness and and Belmont. Okay. Because he definitely. was awesome. Definitely, definitely. And then of course we also talked to Robert Phillips uh, on the Rodney Reed case, the attorney for Jimmy Finnell, and Darren Dake. Mm-hmm. The uh, coroner. And we'll have him back because he's he's like a, a jack of all trades on police investigation. <laughs> right, right. And then um, our court of public opinion group: Nicole, Adi, Roberta, Meredith, and Yvonne. Oh boy, that was a uh, that was a fun show to uh, try to get together mm-hmm. and things. Because Lord knows, every time and it, yeah, obviously my fault, but uh, it was a uh, it was a fun little situation trying to work around everything going on. Yes, we yeah, because we needed to do it on a Saturday because mm-hmm. that was and what worked with everybody's schedule. And Yvonne is in Europe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and and you were on the road. Yep. But hey, luckily so. we powered through it, so we got it. Right. And I know how to run the board by myself. I don't want yep. to, but I can if I have to. <laughs> hey, you're a genius now. I know. <laughs> really. <laughs> so. But uh, and are there any any guests that I've left off? I. I tried to remember everybody. I think you're good. Of course, Brad. I, I We've had Brad a couple yeah. times. Yeah, of course. You know, of course, Brad, Brad likes to stop in. 
yeah, Brad stops in, you know, whenever he uh, hears something that, you know, he'd like to get more information on or something. He definitely always glad to hear from him. But, uh, yeah, definitely. As far as that goes, uh, I think we got everybody. I think. I mean, of course, yeah. you're testing my memory. It's sometimes hard for me to remember what happened two weeks ago, <laughs> let alone a year ago. <laughs> so if any any former guests are listening and, and we haven't mentioned you, please call in and, and bring that to our attention uh, because we don't, we don't want to leave anyone out. Uh, we also we, uh, talked about Glorious Alliance, who was the off-the-track thoroughbred, in California, who graduated to a career in um, eventing or show jumping, uh, dressage, etc., uh, and is a Twitter personality and author. Um, she passed away in November, and her legacy is that there are five new members of the herd. At her ranch in California. Really? And yes, they are nihilist. Uh, he is his sire's pioneer of the Nile. He was born the year American Pharaoh won the Triple Crown. His dam is Oleanda Avenue, who is an APND mayor. Uh, pioneer works real well with the APND line. Um, then there's Hackleton. His sire is Giants Causeway. He just turned 11 this year on January 1st. Uh, his dam is Mary Vale, and her sire is 49er, who I believe just celebrated his 35th birthday. Mm-hmm. And then there is Our Independence. He is young. He's only... Uh, Eight years old. Mm-hmm. His sires put it back, and his dam is Newcastle Lady, and she's the Seattle Fleet Mayor. And then there right. are two new mayors. These are three, uh, two geldings, I believe, and Nihilist is a Ridgeling. Okay. Um, which I I think has something to do with the lack of descent. We'll talk. We'll talk to Dr. Langlois about. Bridge links next week. Right. Uh, dramatic right. victory is a mare. Uh, she is her sire's Artie Schiller, and he's had some pretty good two-year-olds running <clears throat> and three-year-olds running this this year. Uh, her dam is Robin's Prospect, and she is uh, an Allen's Prospect mare. Okay. And then Triple Vanilla, her sire is Tis Wonderful. Mm-hmm. And she's out of America's cat, who is a, five, a forest wildcat mare. Um, our independence and tr- triple vanilla are eight, and dramatic victory is seven. Okay. Okay. So new members of the herd, they're they're settling in, they're finding their their places and their niche, and um, it's it's been a blessing to have. Her her legacy carry on. These are all Nihilus Tackleton and uh, our independents, who's called Indy, are all off the track thoroughbreds, 
And I believe Dramatic Victory and Triple Vanilla were broodmares at one point. But mm-hmm. they're now retired to this ranch in California. <clears throat> okay. Okay. And finding their place. And um, it's really, it, it was so great when I when I read the introductory posts on Twitter about these new members of the herd. I was so happy. And Smoothie, uh, I think you remember he was America's emotional gelding. He has grown and and gained so much confidence. He's now like the grand old man for these babies. Right, right. And um, you know, he he's really he's blossomed since Kay brought him to the ranch. Just like just as Glory did. So I think each of these horses is going to blossom too. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it could I mean, not absolutely. be a better legacy for for Glory. So, and of course, she's still running everything from her celestial headquarters. <laughs> so she's right. keeping everybody in line. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, absolutely. Doctor. Doctor Langwa follows her, so we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about Glory next week. Okay. Okay. And we'll learn about Ridgelings. Hey, I mean, I'm I'm always learning something. In case you can't tell, when it comes to horse racing, so this is definitely always something that's a learning opportunity for me. Because you know, I was never. I was never the horse racing fan until uh, we started doing this show, and you know now it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, I I just love it. I mean, I've I've watched. I've had years where I I couldn't watch it, and you know I, I've had my uh, elation and heartbreak sometimes on the same day, um, and I I don't wager. Except every now and then I put bets down on Derby Preakness and Belmont. Mm-hmm. Um, Just have fun with that's, it. One of my goals is to pick up handicapping tips mm-hmm. from Joe you know and, who, and Dr. Langlois and say, Mr. Amos. You know who you can so that, get into it with that with uh, is Brad. Is Brad, yeah. Yeah. So... So that my Kentucky Derby, but you know, like if I had bet Belmont the way I normally do, I would have put money on Sir Winston to win. Mm-hmm. You know, and I kicked myself because I didn't, I didn't think about that. It was D-Day. He's named after Winston Churchill. I mean, hmm. you know. Yeah. I should have gotten it. <laughs> but I've also learned not to bet just to win, to always bet win, place, or show. True. True. Makes sense. <laughs> you improve your odds that way, it seems like. Because <laughs> I, I think uh, Jovia, I bet to win. And if I bet show. You would have won? I would have probably won something. <laughs> No, it would have been like $2.80, but still, you know. Hey, 
That's two dollars. That's a little bit of gas money right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have OTBs in Louisiana, and so it's a lot easier. You don't have to go to the track and spend money at the track. You can go to the OTB, go in, buy your tickets, and come right out again. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, it's a gas station, convenience store? What is it? No, no, it's off-track. I mean, it's it's off, uh, New York has a lot of off-track betting. It's oh, a place oh, set up, okay. off-track betting, and it's a place set up where you can go in. I mean, they have tables and chairs, and they play the races. So you can, you know, you can stay and, and buy drinks and whatever. I'm not sure what the amenities are, um, but without going to the track. I could, and I could be wrong. I feel like Oakland might have something like that, but I could be wrong. I think they do because it seems like um, when I went to the casino at Southland, the dog track, they had you could bet on Oaklawn races. Yeah, I feel like I feel like you don't have to be there. I actually feel like you can do it online too. I I'm, I may be way off on that, but yes, there is. Um, there are many, many, many betting apps, uh, and I have every year. I consider downloading them on my phone, but I'm concerned mm-hmm. that I might overextend myself. Right. If right. it's that easy. <laughs> right. If you have Absolutely. to go somewhere and make your picks and buy your ticket, then you know you you don't do it often. But if it's right there in the palm of your hand, then it could become a problem. Then it could become a problem. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. And, you know, I'm supporting a myself, a dog, and a 50, soon-to-be 52-year-old sister. So, right. Um, <laughs> I, I, it does not take much to overextend my budget. Yeah, I'm sure, especially not in uh, in that place in old New Orleans. Yeah. So yeah, well, we we splurged for New Year's Eve. We went to uh, Applebee's. Oh, because fancy. I they had a drink that I wanted to try, and I needed a designated driver. <laughs> I well, kid you not. There you go. Exact reason. That was the only reason we went to Applebee's for dinner. So, Shoot, to tell you the truth, unless you got out early on New Year's Eve, I don't even know why you went out on New Year's Eve because I'm sure the traffic was monstrous. We're we're on the West Bank. We're okay, across Lisa, the river. you're gonna have to help me. Okay, okay, there we go. That's better. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're. Let's see. I'm trying to think. I'm not familiar enough with Little Rock. Um, you're, you're familiar with Memphis. Yeah. Okay. We're in West Memphis. Ah, okay. I got you. So you're not. We're not in. You know. We're close. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're close. We're in the same state. That was the thing (laughs) that always got me is the traffic in New Orleans. The traffic going from Arkansas to Tennessee, or Tennessee back to Arkansas, was not as bad 
as the traffic within the 26 miles of New Orleans. I was about to say, to be completely honest, I don't remember. Now, this was middle of August, so, I mean, maybe it wasn't, you know, a high time for traffic or anything. But I don't remember traffic except for at that Saints game I went to. Traffic wasn't too terrible. Yeah, traffic downtown when there's Saints games was bad. Yeah, they um, they they made the smart move of uh, blocking off one of the on ramps onto the uh, mm-hmm. onto the interstate, and yeah, I had to drive around yeah. New Orleans looking for an on ramp. I've tried to call. I've had that happen trying to get to the bridge on the way home from work. I've tried to call you. You have almost gotten mm-hmm. calls with me frustrated, which <laughs> sounds kind of like bad, <laughs> but it's just frustrated. Because I cannot get to the bridge. Oh, um, trust me. Now, I granted, when I lived in Memphis, when I lived in Marion, I did not drive out east very much, except when I worked out there. And traffic mm-hmm. going out east and coming home was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. It was like traffic going from Kenner and Metairie to downtown. Right. At those right. peak hours. So. But uh, anyway, so that's uh, we're going to do that next week. So we'll talk okay. about horses some more next week. All right, you ready to get into the cases that we're going to Let's gonna get into the meat tonight. and taters. Okay. First of all, <laughs> we've got Mumia Abu Jamal. Uh, he recently won the right to have one of his PCRA appeals reviewed by the Superior Court, which is the mid, the median appellate court in Pennsylvania, because one of the judges on the Supreme Court that reviewed the original PCRA appeal had been a district attorney in Philadelphia and had actually at one point opposed one of Abu Jamal's prior post-conviction appeals. Mm-hmm. So uh, the trial court found that there was a conflict of interest uh, that when asked to recuse, although that was never raised as a reason for recusal, um, that Judge Castile should have recused. But it's okay. kind of tricky on a Supreme Court because they sit as a whole court and there's an odd number of judges so there's seven judges if one has to recuse then it's kind of like the u.s supreme court you can't get a majority you could get ties right i believe so in that some case, states and some and processes obviously. appoint somebody to sit as a special judge I was about to say, obviously, this would be a hypothetical, but could they not do something like that? But yeah, okay, that makes sense to me. They 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 might be able to, but I don't know what Pennsylvania's procedure are. I mean, in in um, Texas and Louisiana, I see a lot of times a notation that someone was appointed as a, a judge pro tem for that case. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, they, they, you know, the U S Supreme court, they can't do that. Right. 
Right. So we had a period where they were going to always have a tie. Huh. Yeah, or they, they were in a position where they might always tie. So um, people were very worried about that. Um, mm-hmm. When the issue of delaying Judge Kavanaugh's, Justice Kavanaugh's uh, confirmation was, was brought in, they were already in their term, and they didn't have a majority. You know, they didn't mm-hmm. have a an odd number so that they could could form a majority. Right. So, um, but that is uh, it's going to be reviewed by the Superior Court instead of the Supreme Court because Abu Jamal's death sentence was vacated, and mm-hmm. the Philadelphia DA elected not to do another punishment hearing. There is some controversy, uh, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, Abu Jamal's brief has been filed at the Superior Court. He filed an application for correction of original record and an application for remand as well. Uh, The state's brief is due on January 31st, 2020. Um, I've requested copies of his brief, but it's going to be like $259 because it's 259 pages. And I don't know if that's going to be within the budget. (laughs) Yeah, that may Um, not, that that may be a little outside of the budget. The application for correction was denied. I don't know if they've taken any action on the application for remand. Mm-hmm. Let me look at the docket real quick because I printed the docket out because I was actually smart. <laughs> Yay me. Um, okay. The application for correction has been denied. Uh, they have not acted on the application for remand. So that remains pending. And like I said, the state's brief is pending. And then the controversy is that initially the Philadelphia DA, first of all, a progressive DA was elected. His name is Larry Krasner. Um, The impression that he has given in other criminal cases as well as handling of Abu Jamal is that he's really not interested in prosecuting criminals. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of the things that caused controversy was when the order allowing Jamal to uh, have his appeal reviewed at the Superior Court level was initially granted by a common pleas court judge, um, the DA's office said, we're going to appeal it, we're going to appeal it, he can't do that. And then the judge filed a an amended judgment and kind of narrowed the scope of his order. And so then the DA dropped the appeal. Right. So he's allowing the review to proceed. I don't understand how this common police judge can tell the superior court, you need to re-review this PCRA appeal. I don't quite understand that. Mm-hmm. Because that's a trial court judge telling a superior court 
what to do. Right. And that makes no sense. It should be up to the Superior Court to, um, uh, but then again, you know, it, it, the, the common police judge could have vacated his conviction and ordered a new trial. Right. So right. there's at least a little bit of positive in that. Uh, but anyway, so Krasner then took a position where he wasn't going to really defend the initial order. He wasn't going to appeal it. He wasn't going to try and have it set aside. And that caused some concern for Maureen Faulkner as well as other individuals in the you know fraternal order of police and and people who are fighting for Daniel Faulkner, mm-hmm. who's the victim in this case. Right. And on September 18, 2019, Mrs. Faulkner filed a pro se application for intervention in the Superior Court. Basically, she wanted to come into the appeal, and if the DA wasn't going to defend the appeal – and defend that original PCRA decision, she was going to do it. Um, okay. Unfortunately, that application for uh, the application for intervention was denied on October 10th. So now uh, she's represented by counsel, and mm-hmm. a King's Bench petition has been filed on November 12, 2019. Seeking disqualification of the Philadelphia DA's office due to conflicts of interest created by staffers whose former positions, who held former positions as advocates for Abu Jamal, but are now employed by the progressive DA. Uh, hmm. There's one who was an active attorney for Abu Jamal. He's head of the appellate division. So the attorney on the appeal is going to answer to somebody who wants represented Abu Jamal. Yes, that really uh, makes no sense. Krasner's wife worked at a firm that represented Abu Jamal. Wow. Uh, Ooh. A, a paralegal in the office was head of the International Action Committee for Abu Jamal. What? So there are some now, troubling. Now is nobody seeing this? <laughs> there, there. It's some troubling things. This is um, it's going to the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania, and basically the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania would have to um, decide whether to disqualify uh, Judge D. A. Krasner and then appoint and then appoint basically. The uh, Pennsylvania Attorney General. Mm-hmm. And that was filed on November 12th. I don't know that it's been answered yet. Um, I will definitely keep an eye on it and see what happens. I thought I had printed the docket for that, but I hadn't. Right. Um, and I have. I have contacted her attorney, who was very helpful, and sent me her full King's Bench petition with all the attachments. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's basically when I read it, I couldn't believe it. 
um, the head of the the head of the appellate bureau worked side by side with current counsel Judith Ritter. Mm-hmm. And worked on appellate briefs, <clears throat> accusing police and prosecutors of fraud. Another troubling issue is that. Um, there were some boxes of documents discovered, and apparently Abu Jamal filed a – that's probably what the correction of the record is about. And nobody from Krasner's office went to Joseph McGill, the original prosecutor, to find out what those documents were about. It dealt with jury selection. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we um, – uh, you know, we know from Curtis Flowers, uh, jury selection issues can lead to a vacated conviction. Right, absolutely. Uh, especially when they're raised 20 years later based on obscure statements and notes and files. Well, I mean, how many so, – um, how many freaking – Appeals to you know that's not just like ex- obscure references. Yeah, well, they and they all are. You know, they they all are, and unfortunately, sometimes the the really uh, the more pertinent <laughs> statements are ignored. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, nobody from I mean, nobody from Krasner's office went to. Joseph McGill to find out what these notes mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that's uh, an affidavit from that Mr. McGill has been attached to the King's Bench peti- petition. And like I said, it's in the Supreme Court's hands to decide whether the uh, Pennsylvania Attorney General should handle because the implication if Krasner doesn't defend Jamal's um, conviction mm-hmm. and it's reversed, the state of Phil- the state of Pennsylvania is the, the one that's going to be on the hook, not the Philadelphia DA's office. Really. Yeah. Now, why so, would the state be on the hook on that? Well, because it's it's the the Philadelphia DA is, you know, the, the prosecution is a, in the name of the Commonwealth because it's not it's not Pennsylvania is not a state; it's a Commonwealth. Right. Right. Okay. And so, in in any wrongful conviction case, it's not the county that would pay; it's the state. Okay. So, but I'll, I'll keep it. I will be keeping an eye on that and and see what happens. Um, it is. I, I don't know that it'll take that long for us to find out what's going on or what's mm-hmm. going to happen. Um, they probably will act pretty soon if they are going to appoint the attorney general 
they will probably act soon to just temporarily stay the Superior Court. Mm-hmm. So the Attorney General files the state's brief. Right. Not the DA. Makes sense. So uh, we will see what happens. And, you know, if, if we're lucky, Krasner will take a look at the King's bench position and decide to just go ahead and recuse himself and ask the Attorney General to take over. Well, let's just hope we get lucky. Because there, <laughs> there is an appearance of impropriety. Mm-hmm. That you have all these staffers who have actively uh, advocated for Mumia Abu-Jamal for 20 years, for a decade. Mm-hmm. And now you, you employ these people, and these are the people that are going to defend the the state's convi- the Commonwealth's conviction. Mm-hmm. Right. So, <clears throat> so I will keep an eye on that. And the next one is Toria Domchik. Uh, he was convicted of murdering Cassie Joe Stoddard while she was house sitting for family in Idaho. He and his friend Brian Draper wanted to be serial killers. Um, they thought it was a cool thing to do. They were imitating the movie Scream. All kinds of weird things going on. And they snuck into the house. They stabbed her to death and they left her there. Um, unfortunately for them, they were 16, maybe 17. And they thought it would be a good idea to videotape themselves. And then they were yeah. ineffective in burning the videotape and destroying it. So it became Exhibit A at each of their trials. Right. They're geniuses. Yes. So they were both convicted of first-degree murder. Uh, Draper seems to have has, have accepted – he attempted to have his – Sentence reduced, but um, that atten- that request was denied, and he wasn't successful in his appeal. And so they were both sentenced to life, which I think in Idaho means life. Mm-hmm. And um, Adamchik has been challenging not only his guilt and the sufficiency of the evidence, but also his sentence. Because he was a minor. Um, but as we talked about the case, there was actually each of them had a sentencing hearing. They weren't sentenced to mandatory life where the statute says it's life, it's life. The judge held hearings and made a determination based on the evidence at the hearings, the evidence of the crime, the nature of the crime, the you know mitigating evidence about – each of these two young men, and he still found that they were culpable and deserving of a life sentence. And that's acceptable right. even with juveniles. As long as you're not sentenced to life just because the statute says you have to be. If the judge weighs mitigating and aggravating factors and determines that you deserve a life sentence, then you know that's okay. Then you're um, screwed. Although mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure people are going to continue trying to challenge that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but he filed a habeas corpus petition, and on November 25th, 2019, that was denied by the U.S. District Court. Okay. Um, they basically found no error by the Idaho courts, the trial court or the appellate courts, in analyzing the issues raised by Adamczyk and that they were reasonable and in line with U.S. Supreme Court law. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adamczyk has filed a motion to alter or amend, which was filed on December 23, 2019. Um I don't have a copy of that right now, but I once I get a copy to see what the claim, what the issues are, um, I'll update that. Okay. To see what what his uh, motion to alter amend is usually the judge made some factual error <laughs> or a legal error in the uh, denial of relief and just a chance to kind of re-argue and see if the judge will change his mind. Right, right. So, and then we're going to Sedley Alley. He was convicted of the 1986 murder of Lance Corporal Suzanne Marie Collins in Memphis. Right, I remember this one. Uh, He had 20 years of post-conviction, including requests for DNA testing. Mm -hmm. Uh, His requests for DNA testing were denied. He was eventually executed in 2006. Uh, As you recall, back in May, uh, the Innocence Project filed a petition on behalf of Ali's estate seeking DNA testing to exonerate him. Mm Mm-hmm. Their basis for that was that in a case five years after Allie's conviction – or after Allie's execution and denial of testing request, um, the Tennessee Supreme Court in another case found that entering results in a CODIS was part of Tennessee's DNA statute. Whereas in Allie's case, they'd held that that was not part of Tennessee's DNA statute. Mm-hmm. They didn't really reverse Allie. They just kind of held – they had a different holding. They didn't say, no, we're reversing Allie. We should have given him DNA testing, which is what Barry Sheck infers or implies mm-hmm. was said. But they simply found that you know we we said it didn't, but now we're looking at it, and yeah, it does. So a running result against CODIS. Right. So they wanted to do that. Um, I I think I mentioned that the request had been um, denied and dismissed based on a lack of standing by Allie's estate. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The post-conviction statutes are to provide relief to prisoners – not to their family members or their estates after their sentence has been carried out. Right. Okay. The long and short of it. 
Um, so the court found that the estate had no standing under Tennessee's post-conviction law to request DNA testing on behalf of Allie. Uh-huh. Um, there, a notice of appeal has been filed at the Tennessee Supreme Court. Uh, there are no briefing ske- schedules at this time. But um, once there is and once briefs have been filed, I may schedule another show. <laughs> okay. I mean, definitely so we it's an talk interesting about situation. It. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting situation. I mean, after the fact, what are you going to – you're going to exonerate them possibly, but, I mean, what are you going to prove? Ugh. It's one of those right. situations. Well, mm. you remember Roger Coleman. Mm-hmm. His advocates continued pushing for posthumous DNA testing. And there is a chance a governor who – you know, it's going to be elected to the to Tennessee who will decide to do something like that because mm-hmm. that's what Governor Mark Warner did. Right. Uh, he did order DNA testing of evidence from Roger Keith Coleman's case, and it ended up proving that Coleman was guilty. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's it's entirely possible, but at least as far as getting an order from a court, and again, Shelby County may get a progressive DA that will agree to do DNA testing. Right. Um, it's possible, I guess. <laughs> I, I, you know, I I I think um, it, it depends on what they test, and. Mm-hmm. It seems to me when I read the request for DNA testing, they weren't really seeking to test things that had been originally linked to Collins mm-hmm. or uh, evidence that had been linked to Allie. Mm-hmm. They were seeking to, to test things that were found at the crime scene. Well, Suzanne Collins' body was found in a park right, out in the open. Lots of. So there, uh, it's entirely possible that you're going to find things in a public park by a lake in Millington, Tennessee, that had nothing to do with Suzanne Collins' murder. I agree. You know, they weren't Lots seeking of, to test swabs from his vehicle. They, you know, they were saying what was identified as her blood on the uh, grill of his car was avian, although mm-hmm. I. To this day, cannot find a single report, and hmm. there's no citation in the transcript where anybody said the blood on the grill of the car was avian. Right. Um, oh. but we shall see. Right. Uphill, uphill battle, uphill battle. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then Jody Arias, her oral argument is completed. That was back in October. Um, I still cannot wrap my head around. I have not read her entire 300-something page appellate brief. Mm -hmm. Why in the hell the Arizona Court of Appeal allowed her to file an appellate brief and 
I think close to a thousand pages of documents. I mean, <laughs> appellate courts are not courts of original jurisdiction. Right. They're courts of review. So if it's not in the record at your trial, then they're not going to consider it. They're not going to look at it. It doesn't belong before them. If you can convince them that you need to get it into the record, then they can remand your case back to the trial court and you can make a record for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the stuff that they were they were submitting was extraneous to the record. Right. So, um, and then the the state's brief is pretty long, but given the length of Jody's, I' not surprised. Haven't really read their brief either. <laughs> so maybe we'll look, we'll look at Jody Arias again because her direct appeal is a show in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but we're waiting on a decision from the Court of uh, Appeal that her oral arguments were in October. Um, they could decide any day now or it could be another year. Okay. It really – given the length of her trial, the length of the pretrial period, I, I would be surprised if they got anything within a year. Because somebody at the Arizona Court of Appeals has to go through all those records. Okay. And um, the judges have to go through the records and the briefs, and it's a lot of work. That's why some of Rodney Reed's uh, Court of Criminal Appeals decisions have taken you know, two years, three years, 18 months. Because there's a lot of material to go through. Mm-hmm. And then Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey, uh, the governor of Wisconsin, you probably heard, has denied clemency for Dassey. Uh, basically, he found that Dassey did not qualify for clemency because – or yeah, I think it was clemency uh, because he hasn't – Completed a sentence. Mm-hmm. And um, he didn't really follow the procedures. So he got, so, only got denied because he didn't follow the procedures? He Well, I think the. I, I seem to recall reading something about the procedure wasn't followed. You, to, to get a pardon, you have to complete your sentence. And you have to be five years without another crime Mm -hmm. and show a change in your life. And he's applying basically for a pardon from prison because he's actually innocent. And his confession was coerced, et cetera, et cetera. Well, of course Um, he's innocent. Everybody in prison is innocent, Lisa. Come on now. (laughs) I know. I just ignore that, don't I? (laughs) (laughs) I look at it from the perspective of the courts, 
which says otherwise. Um, and then Avery's brief, I think I told you I was surprised Kathleen Zellner did not find more, quote, new evidence, unquote, and seek another remand back to the trial court. Um, she actually filed the appellate brief, and the state brief is pending. I think it's also due at the end of this month. Okay. Okay. So this is the two state post-conviction writs that were filed on behalf of Avery by Kathleen Zellner. And once those are decided, once that's decided, that'll be another episode in and of itself. Right. So, um, so we'll we'll have, uh, but I don't want to do anything until those are those are done, and decided mm-hmm. one way or the other, and then I'll analyze okay. them. Uh, Betty Broderick. The 30th anniversary of the murders of Dan and Linda Broderick was on November 5th, 2019, and I apologize for not marking that around the time uh, because I I would have if it had occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the case is going to take center stage again on Dirty John, which is a uh, – NBC Studios anthology series uh, based on the, the guy John Meekum. Mm-hmm. Meacham. Who was like a con Meacham. man. Meacham. Right. Who was the con man that you know married this woman and uh, was a horrible, I mean, bastard, drug addicted, pretending to be a doctor or an, uh, a, a nurse anesthetist. Stealing drugs from hospitals. I mean, you know, this guy was just nuts and taking money from women. And uh, I really want to look at that case, too, even though there's no trial or court record, because this ended the way it ended when he went after one of the woman's daughters. Okay. Who had opposed him. And this little girl, because she was all of maybe 18, 20, she fought back, and she took him out. Oh, wow. Hell yeah. It, I love hearing I mean, I, I've been, I, I, I have been thinking about it and thinking about it. I'm going to get it on there on the schedule at some point. Because it is good. What I would like you to do is reach out to Deborah, mm-hmm. uh, the the woman, the last woman that he married him, the last woman he was trying to take for everything she had. Right. Because that's what he did, um, and see if we can get her on. Okay. Okay. Uh, we'll see because if we can I would love to talk to her. You know, because I can relate to what she – I mean, he was the perfect, the perfect boyfriend, and he was a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'd grown up being a con. 
Right. From, you know, a young age. Uh, but that still makes it, you know, still wrong. And he went to kidnap this little girl, and he thought she was going to be easy pickings. And she turned the tables on him <laughs> and literally took him out of the game. Heck yeah. Um, and, you know, she, and she wasn't the older sister. The Deborah had two daughters, and the one daughter was tough and, you know, spoke her mind. And she didn't like him, and she didn't didn't hide that. And then the other daughter was younger, and she tried. You know, I'm glad Mom's happy, and I just want her to be happy. And he's not so bad, you know. But when, for some reason, I I think she finally saw through him, mm-hmm. and was helping her mom get away from him. Or maybe he was just going to go after her to hurt her mother. Mhm. Um, but yeah, she she turned the tables and fought. I mean, she was blonde, but she might as well have been a redhead because she fought like a wildcat. <laughs> right. And took him out. Good, good. Um, I like hearing stories like that. <laughs> so, uh, kind of like the eighty-year-old lady that the guy broke into her house. And she beat the tar out of them. Oh, my goodness. Or like the old people that these dudes are breaking in, trying to take advantage of, and they end up like getting a gun in their face. Oh, yeah, that's hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. bitch, don't play. So uh, so USA, uh, the, the show's moving from Bravo to USA Network, and it's going to be Dirty John, the Betty Broderick story. Uh, Betty's next parole eligibility is in 2032, and there's also a chance that her family could seek compassionate release because of Broderick's failing health because she's in her 70s now. Mm-hmm. Um, she still is unapologetic, still sees herself as the victim, and you know everything I've read – Everything I've seen, I mean, two of her attorneys basically said, I didn't quit because of Dan. I quit because of Betty. Mm-hmm. And you can see her attitude in interviews and her testimony on the stand and some of the things she says. She was a person that thought she was smarter than everybody else, and it was her way or the highway, and that's how she was with Dan. Hmm. Okay. And, you know, it it's kind of funny that she says all these things, horrible things about him, but their kids describe she was the one flying into the rages. She was the one when she was mad at Dan lashing out at them. Not Dan. Hmm. So um but of course everybody wants to believe Betty was the victim. And I worked in the legal field almost 30 years now. I have never in my life seen one attorney afraid of another one. In fact, somebody with Dan's reputation or the reputation Betty claims he had would have had attorneys lining up to represent Betty pro bono just for the chance. To screw him. 
<laughs> Especially right. in California matrimonial law in the 1980s when your client is the woman who had nine pregnancies, five miscarriages, and four children. Uh-huh. <laughs> who worked to put her husband first through medical school and then through law school. I have right. never in my life seen any attorney afraid of another attorney. True. I we've we've got you know personal injury defense lawyers with bad reputations for doing all kinds of shady dirty deals and dirty things and even a you know new PI plaintiff guy with five years' experience is chomping at the bit to take them on because that's that's what attorneys that's who attorneys are. They're generally right. all very bloodthirsty. I'm always right, you know. Nobody else is ever. <laughs> I'm in the right, you know, and I'm especially somebody protecting the little guy. Right. Right. You know. I've never seen – so her claiming because of Dan's position in San Diego that she couldn't get an attorney. No, you couldn't get an attorney because you were violating protection orders and restraining orders. You were trashing Dan's house. You were taking things. You were not showing up for court. You were reneging on agreements and – you wouldn't take my advice. And if mm. you're not going to take my advice, I'm going to cut you loose. True. So, yeah, in 30 years, I've never seen one attorney afraid of another attorney in my life. And my mother worked in it, uh, in the legal field. And she worked for an attorney with a reputation who was also a medical malpractice attorney. And he was a great trial attorney. And even the the little associates at the defense firms would take him on and mm-hmm. fight him tooth and nail. So, hmm. you know, you don't get to be an attorney if you're a little wilting violet. Right. Very true. Very true. So, um, we'll see how that I, I'm I'm looking forward to watching that. It's gonna be Amanda Pete. And I believe Christian's later, which I think Christian's a little bit long in the tooth to play a young Dan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I used to love Christian Slater, but he's my age. I mean, he's like 55. Between 55 and the tooth. 60, he may be he may be even a little bit older than you know. Um, I can't remember where he, whether he's born in '64 or. Or after, but yeah, he's. I think he's a little for the young Dan. Amanda P. You know, she's in her forties, but she can she could play twenty. Hmm. Um. So that'll that'll be interesting to see, and to see how Very they true. how they portray Betty. So, uh, and then moving on, we've got Linda Carty, 
she was convicted of the murder of Joanna Rodriguez in Harris County, Houston, Texas, uh, in 2001. And um, she's on death row in Texas. She claims she's innocent. She claimed all the witnesses lied, uh, that the DA did all kind of dirty deals and done her dirty, that she wasn't there, that she had nothing to do with Joanna Rodriguez's death, that if she wanted a baby, she could have had a baby, and, you know, all those things. She didn't know Joanna Rodriguez, (laughs) had no reason to want her dead, uh, et cetera, and so on and so forth. Um, Her... Post-conviction in 2018 was denied. In April of 2019, a letter was sent by a gentleman in Pembrokeshire, from Pembrokeshire, Wales, in the UK, on behalf of Cardi, and copies went to Daily Telegraph, New York Times, Houston Chronicle, um, a British Foreign Office. And Baker Botts, who is representing Linda Cardi, uh, the letter attached a an email that came to an address lcardi.brimstoneprs at icloud.com, and it is from a tipster. Mm-hmm. Um, now. This is really – it's kind of strange because it's a message from someone at btinternet.com, which I think is British Telecom. Uh, the, the letter is dated April 25, 2019. The letter from the tipster is dated June 25, 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, So we have a slight problem there because apparently uh, Mr. Charles uh, sat on this for a year or almost a year, and the body of the email, which apparently is the actual tipster letter – uh, is dated Quince de December 2017. Hmm. So um, that makes the letter 18 months, the tipster letter 18 months old by the time it was sent to the court in Houston. Um, it's It's written... In what can best be described as Spanglish, generously be described as Spanglish. Uh, generously be described. I another description I thought of was pigeon Spanish. <laughs> right. Um, it says Senora Corona Cardi Mio saw two in the Houston Chronicle. And Mio admire the way to handle the reporter and her questions. If two is worried about Mio coming back to be a problem, Linda, don't. I am not with the cartel anymore, not since two Dea, Dallas, Cavacho, Ricardo, Martinez, Bust, El Diablo, Jose Vasquez, Jr., the same Z distributor to found out William Aravisu's 
steal the money from El Diablo Cuarenta, Miguel Angel Trevino, and 40 Ejo Tuno as Oscar put the word out to Barato Del Mapa William. Are you getting an idea now? Yeah, I'm getting a slugged idea. Okay. First of all, it's it's talking about somebody Linda knows. <laughs> and William Aravisu is the man that that Linda has been claiming for a few years was the real killer. Hmm. Um, okay. Uh, and it says that somebody sent Dos Sicarios to Houston, and they were looking for vengeance on Uno Lalardon La and his family, nombre Ramondo Cabrales. Perfecto crime taking 40 trademark before 40 Barado del Mapa. Frogs, William Arvisu, hired Dos Cario. Setting hmm. two up with the cover to have the details to in the next letter. And, of course, there is no second letter. There is no formal uh, writ filed on behalf of Linda by Baker Botts. Uh, it also warns her... Uh, not to trust anybody. Hmm. Mio sending two of these letters kind of instructions not to give them to two law enforcement unless to know for certain Johnny Lindsay Muerte. Linda trusts no one unless it is to Dea Ejo. Uh, Dea DEA may be DEA. She worked for the DEA at one time right. for like four months. And then they realized she was screwing them and they stopped working with her. Right. <laughs> so um that Please. is and the letter the letter from the Welshman, the handwriting is pretty awful. Um and I'm not gonna even try to read it on the air. It's from someone named Luke Hyde Charles. Right. And it was sent to Linda Cardi with the Email, which is supposedly sent to her email address. Hmm. It's it, it's, it's something. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then she sent a letter to the court on uh, June eleventh, twenty nineteen. Uh, and it's typical Linda posturing. Harris County made a great mistake. I did not kill nor have anything to do with Joanna Rodriguez's death, her kidnapping, her fate. The real truth came to myself and my law firm, Baker Botts, and my British government's foreign affairs by resourceful tipsters, leads, tips, evidence. Named killer to boot. It's taken me several months to assimilate, realize this fact. Well, this is all stuff you knew. Right. Um. You have zero physical forensic evidence against me. My attorneys now have in their hands the first phase of clear proof of whom the true killer is. Well, you know what, Linda? It's been a year. Well, it's been six months. File your damn post-conviction writ. True. Very true. Uh, It was filed in Harris County as well. But like I said, there's no writ. Uh, there's no, and you know, this is like, okay, Pembrokeshire Wales. So Mr. Luke Charles, unless Baker Botts flies him over from Wales, but he's got no direct knowledge because presumably in 2001, 
He was in Wales. He didn't know Linda Cardi from Eve. Right. Uh, anonymous, anonymous tipster. Yeah, good luck with that. Hmm. The anonymous tipster has got to come up, and he's got to – he can't testify that Linda knew all these people, and Linda knew all this crap. Because if Linda knew all this shit, why didn't she tell her attorney to draw? Very true. So, um, yeah. So that is – that's Linda's Cardi's latest thing, but like I said, they, they haven't filed the writ yet. I will keep an eye on it, though. Okay. Uh, And then uh, moving on to uh, Roger Clemens. He uh, was convicted in the Chain of Rocks murders after years of claiming that his confession was coerced and he was beaten by police and he was actually innocent. He wasn't there. Uh, he was able to get a new trial ordered. His conviction was vacated. Uh, he was serving a sentence for assaulting a prison guard in 2007, so he didn't get out of prison. Uh, but during the, I guess, run-up to his his second trial, DNA evidence conclusively linked him as well as I think uh, one of his co-defendants, either Antonio Robinson or the one who was executed, and I can't remember his name at the moment, to the murders and the Carey, mm-hmm. one of the Carey sisters. So he ended up pleading guilty to two counts of aggravated rape, two counts of aggravated robbery, and – Assault, I believe. Mm-hmm. He was sentenced. He he got five consecutive life sentences. However, due to a quirk in Missouri law uh, that was in effect at the time of the murders, he is eligible for parole hearing in June of 2020, and he has a possible release date of November 9, 2020. Mm-hmm. Um. He got 15 years on the guard, attack of the guard, which he served 13. Um, But Missouri didn't have minimum, mandatory minimum terms for violent crimes at the time of the Chain of Rock murders. Although I kind of wonder whether the consecutive sentencing will come to play. In his eligibility. Right. The articles that are available online suggest that they don't, but the way consecutive sentencing works, we've talked about it, if you get a 25-year sentence and you're eligible for parole after 10, but you're you still got to survive on, consecutively on multiple counts, you serve 10 years on and the And then first you start count. your next one. And then you start the next 10 years on the second count, and then you start the next 10 years on the third count. And once you've served 50 years, you can get out, mm-hmm. um, which at a minimum of 15 years on the five consecutive counts, he would be in prison for a very long time. So we'll have to see how that shapes up in June 
of this year. Um, also, the fact that he still claims he's innocent and that he didn't do this and he didn't have anything to do with it when there will come into play during parole hearings. Okay. Because even with DNA, and even though he pled guilty, he's still claiming in the public that he's not guilty. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Um, and then uh, why don't we take a quick break? Okay, we can do that. Because uh, it's, it's about 9.15. Take a quick break, and then we'll go through the remaining cases. Okay. Sounds good, we'll, ladies we'll and We'll go gentlemen. through. Well, of course. Lisa Lisa wanted to keep talking. Go ahead, Lisa. I apologize. <laughs> I said I won't give as much background on the next few cases. <laughs> I apologize, Lisa. <laughs> I just, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening I to uh, on my court. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Clear and Convincing. We'll be right back after this. Then check out the guys at Sub Ohm Vapors. With daily specials on a wide selection of mods and juices, they will surely become your one-stop shop. Ray and the guys at Sub Ohm Vapors, located at 6929 JFK Boulevard, Suite C in North Little Rock, Arkansas, want to see you. Join them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but more importantly, visit the store or call 501-392-6487. Sub Ohm Vapors. Vape it like you built it. Gym. Saturday, June 29th, it's Redemption. Brought to you by the Arkansas Wrestling Organization. See Arkansas favorites like Cataclysm, Ace Muta, the original Misfit, Josh Cross, Suicide King, Ray Insane Shane, and current AWO champion, D Mike. As they battle for redemption this Saturday in Ola at 307 West Hill Street. Doors open at 5.30. Concessions will be available. And this is a family-friendly show with kids under six getting in free. It's Redemption. Brought to you by the Arkansas Wrestling Organization. Organization.
Yes, ma'am, we are. I apologize. I just can't catch a break oh. on cutting you off. No, that's okay. I I thought of it after uh, I heard it say muted, and I I started to say something. So no problem. <laughs> and this, folks, is proof positive that Michael and I do not work from scripts. This is true. I think we do this at this. least once every show. We prove that we don't. <laughs> Correct. And we're live, so this isn't going to be edited out. What you hear is what you get. And I like it that way. Yeah, there's not much you can do about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Kevin Cooper is our next case. Um, As you remember, uh, he was convicted of the Chino Hills murders. That occurred in 1983 in California. In 2001 or 2002, he sought and got DNA testing, which confirmed his guilt. Mm-hmm. So then the uh, DNA was all planted. And for years, he sought testing in federal court and got EDTA testing to proved that the blood on this t-shirt that had never been used at trial was planted and it didn't work out that way the judge, the federal court judge denied his writ the Ninth Circuit affirmed but one of the judges had to write a hundred page dissent that people advocating for Kevin Cooper Treat as though it is a legally binding opinion when it's not. Hmm. In 2018, prior to leaving office, Governor Jerry Brown uh, did not act on Cooper's clemency request, but did uh, grant his request for DNA testing, further DNA testing. Uh, Governor Newsom, Gavin Newsom, prior to ordering a moratorium on all death sentences in California anyway during his term in office, uh, expanded Governor Brown's order to test additional evidence. A master has been appointed, a special master, who was appointed by Governor Brown, Judge Daniel Pratt. He is overseeing the testing. On May 28, 2019, Uh, The judge at the U.S. District Court of Appeals, uh, U.S. District Court in San Diego, ordered, uh, granted Cooper's request to permit the Department of Justice to release Trial Exhibit 169 for testing to Bode Technology. So the testing is in process as of May 2019. Okay. By Bode Technology. 
uh, once something comes uh, about the testing and the results, we will, of course, look at that case again. Right, right. Um, and now we're moving to Florida and Dahlia DiPolito. Um, and you'll notice there's no picture of Mike DiPolito uh, on the webpage. On the murder for hire cases, I elected not to post pictures of victims okay. or the potential victims. Um, so that's just my – I just prefer that because they're still out there. I don't want to be plastering their face all over the internet any more than it already is done. Yeah, um, that makes sense. She, she uh, her direct appeal, her conviction and sentence were affirmed by the Fourth District Court of Appeal in Florida. The Florida Supreme Court declined to review that case, and now Dahlia DiPolito's attorneys have filed a writ of certiorari. To the United States Supreme Court Seeking review Of the Issue related to presentation Of an objective Entrapment defense To a jury Mm -hmm. In Florida First of all to, To present an entrapment defense A subjective entrapment defense You have to admit you committed the crime Which, of course, we know Dahlia DiPolito didn't want to admit that she did. Um, they wanted to try and pr- permit objective entrapment, which is more – deals with a due process violation. So that she wouldn't have to admit committing the crime and that the jury would just look at the actions of Boynton Beach Police and decide whether or not their actions were outrageous and that she should ever even be charged. Um, that's not permitted under Florida law. Under Florida law, because objective entrapment deals with a due process violation, it is evaluated by a judge. Right. Which she filed a mo- motion to dismiss based on objective entrapment. Hearings were held. She presented her evidence and her testimony, and Judge Kelly uh, determined that there was no due process violation. So uh, that's the only issue that she's presenting for review. And the state's response is due January 21st, 2020. Okay. And then the U.S. Supreme Court will decide whether or not they're going to hear uh, whether they're going to hear the case or not. I'm betting not Right. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And uh, Leon Jacob, he's the uh, – he wasn't even a doctor. Okay, he wasn't a he, – he didn't have – his medical license had been revoked. He never completed residency. Um, he was a a con man. He was getting involved with rich women or women that could support him. And taking advantage of them, and then when he was tired of them, walking away and going to the next woman. I mean, that was his, you know, that was his M.O. Um, and he was convicted of attempting to hire someone to kill not only his ex-girlfriend, 
to prevent her pursuing assault and stalking charges against him, but also his current girlfriend's ex-husband so that she could retain custody of her daughter because he must have something. I don't know what – I don't see it when I hear him speak or look at him Um, because when her husband said, look, I just don't want our daughter around Leon – the woman didn't say, okay, Leon, get the fuck out. Right. It's you or my daughter. I choose my daughter. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, One would think. Uh, unfortunately, Valerie McDaniel, the girlfriend, the, the girlfriend at the time, um, after their arrest, when she was released on bail, um, she took her own life rather than face what was going on. And it's it's really sad. She's another victim of his. She was a prominent, successful veterinarian. She was a legitimate veterinarian. She wasn't just pretending. She was very well-loved, well-liked by everyone, well-loved by everybody in her practice. And, you know, she threw it all away for this, for this loser. Right. And he was a loser. I listen to him. I see him. He's a loser. Right. You know, he, he has a complete – I'm not even a doctor, but if I meet a guy that has never completed a residency and wants to call himself a doctor, I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. That's going to be a no. So. You need to get out. <laughs> All right. Our next case is Stacy Johnson. That's from Arkansas. Right. Um, he had requested – he his execution was stayed because the Arkansas Supreme Court found that the judge in his trial court request for DNA testing did not grant him the hearing that the statute entitled him to. Okay. So his case was sent back to the trial court. A hearing was held. The judge ultimately denied Johnson's request for DNA testing. Now, remember, he got DNA testing in 2004 and was linked to hairs found uh, at the crime scene of Carol Heath's murder and a cigarette butt found in a rest area in a shirt that was identical to the shirt his own mother or stepmother said he was wearing the night he got out of jail and went over to spend the night at Carol Heath's house. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so his request for DNA testing was denied by the trial court. That was under review by the Arkansas Supreme Court, which in a 5-2 to two vote on December 12, 2019, a firm denial of DNA testing. Um, basically, the majority found, as with Rodney Reed in Texas, that Johnson had failed to prove that the proposed testing would raise substantial doubt as to Johnson's guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, the opinion was authored by Judge Womack, Justice Womack, Justices Wynn and Hart dissented, and Justice Baker filed a concurring opinion. Okay. So basically, 
he was denied, Johnson was denied DNA testing just as Robert Rodney Reed was because they didn't prove that the results of the testing would have would changed anything. Overcome the the already existing evidence of their guilt. Uh, one of the things that that the Innocence Project is doing is they're bringing in all these other things, attacking the original evidence at trial, and they're claiming that they've you know debunked all of it or refuted all of it. But mm-hmm. that's not what the DNA testing statutes say. Judges, justices, especially in a court of review are not replacing their interpretation of evidence for that of the jury. And right. they're never going to do that. Although right. justices win in heart believe that they should. Um, so uh, that is, uh, that is the, the status of his request for DNA testing. Um, Post-trial briefing in the lethal injection challenge in federal court has concluded, and uh, the a decision is pending now from U.S. District Court Judge Christine Baker in the federal lethal injection challenge. And I believe they're challenging the use of midazolam and challenging the protocol, Arkansas's protocol. Right, the three cocktails, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, their challenge to midazolam is it's not going to put them out. Um, it's not going to render them unconscious. Um, although one of the interesting exhibits in the uh, motion for summary judgment filed by the state of Arkansas was – autopsy reports and witness affidavits from people who observed the four 2017 executions that did go through or, you know, did were carried out. And all of them said the inmates were unconscious and showed no evidence of pain or distress when the right. second and third drugs were administered. So uh, that's another case we'll we'll revisit once the lethal injection claim has been decided, mm-hmm. at least at the district court level. I I don't know that I'll wait for the Eighth Circuit to weigh in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then Jeffrey McDonald, the former Green Beret who murdered his family on Fort Bragg uh, in North Carolina. In 1970, uh, he had filed a writ to the U.S. Supreme Court, and that was denied on October 7, 2019. So his last gasp um, at having his conviction reversed is over. Okay. Um, He will have to come up with quote, new evidence that he's never presented before, which is not going to happen because most of what he presented was evidence that had been presented before. Um, He's in his 70s now. I think he's 70. He turned 73, 76, rather, in October. 
Mm-hmm. What a birthday present for him, huh? Right. <laughs> U.S. Supreme Court says, no, we're not interested. <clears throat> All right. Um, moving on, the Manson family, uh, Leslie Van Houten. If you remember in 2017, the parole board granted her request or found her suitable for parole. Governor Jerry Brown reversed that decision, and Van Houten filed a challenge to that reversal. The appellate court in California has upheld the 2017 parole reversal, finding that the reasons cited by Brown were sufficient. Uh, There was a dissent, but uh, the majority was that Brown was right, and the – she was – tripping over my tongue. She was Mm -hmm. also approved the following year, I think in 2018, but Governor Newsom in 2019 also reversed that decision. Mm-hmm. And so she's got another action pending challenging that reversal. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and then Bruce Davis had also been granted parole, and Governor Newsom reversed his mm-hmm. parole decision. I had read Boussoulet uh, had been granted parole, but I couldn't find anything. I, it probably has been reversed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Bruce Davis is challenging the reversal. <clears throat> so, um, so that's that's Manson, uh, Patricia Krenwinkle. I, you know, she's pretty much just sitting in prison. We're good. She probably does her, you know, no, she goes to her parole hearings and she probably, you know, tries to get them to grant her parole, but I. I, I think any governor would be crazy to let any of these people out. Right. Um, I agree. Because they go to the parole hearings and they, you know, I was young, I was on drugs. Manson beat me. Manson raped me. Manson did this. Charlie did, you know, Watson did that. And it's always somebody else's fault. Not, no I never should have, you know, I never should have gotten involved. And when he sent right. me out to kill people, I should have gone directly to the nearest police station and reported that people were going to kill people. So, uh, and then uh, Rodney Reed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, let me friend. reiterate. Uh, let me reiterate this: the stay of execution granted by the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals was not because Kim Kardashian or Rihanna or what about Dr. anybody Phil? else or Dr. Phil. Darn. I thought um, it was Dr. Phil. Said Roddy Reed is innocent. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals granted the stay because in this 11th hour claim filed by Rodney Reed's attorneys, he was able to raise uh, sufficient issues of Brady violations and law enforcement, you know, having information that was never conveyed to the defense. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals found he was entitled to go back to the trial court 
and present these witnesses and develop this. The Court mm-hmm. of Criminal Appeals stay also is not on the merits of any of those claims. Hmm. Because frankly, if the Court of Appeals had looked at the merits of the claims as they were presented, they would have denied them. Because every single one of these witnesses did not come forward for 23 years. Very true. Very true. So, <clears throat> um, so the stay was granted. There's an issue regarding uh, Judge Shaver has retired. A new judge, Judge J.D. Langley, was appointed. Um, Rodney Reed's attorneys filed a request for rehearing with the Court of Criminal Appeals because they wanted the Court of Criminal Appeals to say, no, J.D. Langley can't hear this. It needs to be heard by the judge in Bastrop County, a, a gentleman by the name of Carson Campbell. Mm-hmm. Um, the Court of Criminal Appeals denied that request for rehearing. Uh, they are essentially leaving it to the district court the judicial district as a whole and their chief judge to decide who's going to hear the case. Um, There's been some other requests filed in Bastrop County, which I don't have, all I think related to the judge, appointment of the new judge. Um, Frankly, I think part of that is just a stall tactic. Mm -hmm. Because the longer they can prevent the hearings from taking place, the more time they can buy for Rodney Reed. True. Um, Also, uh, Stacy's family and some of Reed's prior rape victims are going to be interviewing with 2020. And 2020 is going to be doing a story about the case, uh, which I, I think is going to be interesting. I think 2020, for the most part, Tends to be pretty objective. Right. Um, I think the only time they've really done a story that's slanted one way or the other is when only one side will talk to them. Which makes sense. I mean, they really can't do much then. If they get if they get cooperation from both sides, they put both sides out there, and they've. They've produced some pretty um, <clears throat> some pretty good shows. They did one on um, uh, Dorothy Stratton a few months ago. She was mm-hmm. a Playboy model who was murdered by her ex-husband or soon-to-be ex-husband. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about, yeah. Back in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um there was another one that I watched that was really good, and I can't remember. I can't remember at the moment what it was on, but like I wasn't going to watch it, and then I ended up watching every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't remember what it was now. It was several months ago. Um, and then uh, his writ, Reed's writ to the United States Supreme Court, is scheduled for conference on January tenth, twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of the same thing that happened with his prior writ related to the denial of DNA testing 
in state court. It was conferenced several times, but ultimately denied. Um, and not even Sotomayor, Ginsburg, or Breyer issued a memorandum challenging the denial of a, of the writ, mm-hmm. a refusal to, to hear the writ. Um, so it, that doesn't really necessarily mean anything. It was conference. It was scheduled for this for um, the Friday before he was executed on the fifteenth, or was set to be executed on the on the twentieth for November fifteenth. And then because he was granted to stay, they put it off to the following week, and then they put it off to the first week in December, and then the second week in December, and then they had their Christmas break, and now their next conference is January tenth. Right. Although it could very well be listed again, relisted again. I don't know. Um, but that's this Friday. And then uh, the biggest news with the case broke today. Uh, Bryce Benjet, who was more or less Reed's lead counsel, has been appointed to lead the new conviction integrity unit of the Queens DA Queens County DA's office. In New York, oh, which God. means he will no longer be representing Rodney Reed or Stacey Johnson. I'm more like, oh, dear God, this guy's going to end up getting – this guy's going to be more dangerous now than ever. We'll see. <clears throat> we'll have to see how that goes. I mean, that's definitely I, I, progressive. I, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how he deals when the shoe is on his foot. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, so we'll have to see. The Queen's DA, I think the newly elected DA is is progressive. Um, that seems to be a trend. Recently, mm-hmm. in a lot of jurisdictions, so we'll we'll have to see how that goes. But he will no longer be representing Johnson or Reed. Uh, Quincy McNeil will probably pretty much take over Rodney Reed. Now, is that a blow to him, or is that okay? How's that work as far as how's that looking for Rodney? Well, I, I mean. I don't know. I frankly, I don't know that any of them know the case that well because the stuff that they claim has never been presented. They were present for hearings where those issues were presented, and they certainly were served with the opinions that denied relief on those issues, and yet uh-huh. they don't seem to know anything about them like the beer cans. Because Bryce Benjet claims that an officer's DNA was on the beer cans. Um, So I don't know. You know, I I think that we've talked about this and I've talked about it with with Roberta. You know, Innocence Project is really beginning to push the line between advocacy, zealous advocacy, and 
creating false narratives. Right. <clears throat> so we shall see. But it'll be interesting to see when he's in a DA's office uh, how he how he handles himself. Hmm. Right. Um, and Darlie Routier, she was convicted of murdering one of her sons. I believe it was Damon. Um, she also murdered her son, Devin, but she wasn't tried uh, for Devin's murder. She has been in post-conviction for more than a decade, probably approaching two now. Um, apparently, there is going to be two fingerprints found at the crime scene, 85I and 85J, are mm-hmm. going to be run through the APHIS system by DPS. Uh, her defense counsel has objected to that because DPS won't allow their experts to be present when the that is done because that's DPS mm-hmm. policy is no outside people can be there. Um, so frankly, I think they're just kind of setting things up for a challenge to a lack of a conclusive finding. Um, but, you know, that's just me. And then they've also requested uh, DNA reference samples have been ordered by the court to be sent to DPS for Darley, Damon, Devin, Darren, um, and a few other, I think some identified officers and things. People that have been identified as working on the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is DNA testing being done. If Bryce Benjet was working on Routier, she won't be working on that one again either. Uh, defense counsel has also been granted a review of the Dallas DA's trial file. Hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. Right. On... Uh, Darley's case and then Hank Skinner who was convicted of the New Year's Eve early New Year's morning murders of his girlfriend Twyla Busby and her sons Randy Busby and Elwin Kaler Um, his case the DNA appeal is still pending he had gotten DNA results there were some hairs that did not um, let's see that were mitochondrial DNA similar to Busby to Twyla Busby's, but were not visually similar to Twyla, Randy, or Elwin. Um, although there's no record of visual comparison with Twyla's daughter Lisa who was away that night. Uh, that right. she, that Skinner's argued belonged to her uncle Robbie Bobby Donald. <clears throat> uh, that who Skinner's who Skinner's argues who Skinner has argued 
uh, was the wearer of the extra large jacket that was too big for Skinner that was hanging on the door. Now, Skinner doesn't mention that jacket would have fit Randy or Elwin perfectly. And he also doesn't mention the fact that Bobby Donnell was more of a a Oompa Loompa than he is. You know, Skinner's like, I'm only 5'8". It wouldn't fit me. Bobby Donnell was five feet tall. Right. He was he was a serious Oompa Loompa. <laughs> okay. Um, and he was like 60 years old when Twyla was murdered and um, not... You know, his fighting weight when he was in the Oklahoma Department of Corrections was not uh, what you would consider healthy for a six-year-old man of only five feet tall. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, that de- that appeal, he was denied relief. He was denied a new trial based on the DNA results. Mm-hmm. And there were there were other results that, um, you know, mixtures of his blood and Randy and Elwin's blood found on knives of course his explanation is I use those knives every day to make sandwiches so um, (laughs) the post submission briefing has been filed by Skinner citing additional authority to a Michigan federal court case which uh, deals with the admissibility of STR mix uh, testing methods used by the DPS to interpret some of the DNA mixtures that they found on the evidence when they examined it in 2012. Uh, a decision on that appeal is still pending by the Court of Criminal Appeals. So uh, that was it was submitted in March of 2019. Mm-hmm. But again, there's a lot of material to go through. Um, so hopefully within the next year, we will have some kind of decision on, on Hank Skinner. Right. And then Adnan Syed, he was convicted of murdering his girlfriend, uh, former girlfriend, Hamian Lee in Maryland. Uh, his writ to the U.S. Supreme Court was denied on November 25th. His next step is probably going to be federal court according to some of his advocates however I'm not sure that his federal habeas claims will be considered timely at this point his Mm -hmm. conviction became final in 2001 or 2002 true he filed Hmm. I believe an initial state post conviction that was denied Around 2006, 2007, 2008, he should have Hmm. filed a federal writ of habeas corpus within a year of that decision. And Hmm. his – the Maryland Court of Appeal, their highest court, reversed the favorable trial court and intermediate appellate court decisions I think last March or April. Right. And so if he's going to file in federal court, he better do it quick. 
Mm-hmm. Because <clears throat> he's only got a year. <laughs> and I don't I don't think that applying seeking a writ at the US Supreme Court on a state case is gonna toll that time. It would on a direct appeal, but I don't think it does on a state post conviction appeal. Okay. So <clears throat> his attorneys better step it up and get that get that baby filed. Because he he may be coming up on a year in March or April of this year. Hmm. And then Charles Victor Thompson, who killed his former girlfriend and her new boyfriend in Houston, um, back I think in '98 or '99. Um, his federal habeas. Uh, claim was denied by the district court. That denial has now been affirmed by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal. And uh, a petition for rehearing has been filed regarding the denial of an evidentiary hearing and the denial of his claims related to a MSEA violation uh, based on testimony from a jailhouse snitch. Which is basically hmm. the jailhouse Snitch. They're arguing the jailhouse snitch was a an agent of the police and had no business talking to Charles Victor Thompson, who was represented by counsel. Uh, once the uh, he's probably they're probably going to seek a writ at the U.S. Supreme Court. So we'll revisit once that process concludes, mm-hmm. and we will probably see him get a date. Once that process concludes. Okay. Oh, and the other thing I I forgot to say on Rodney Reed, <clears throat> his DNA testing um, civil rights claim related to denial of DNA testing in state court was dismissed by the U.S. District Court. He has filed that an appeal with the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. So when we revisit Rodney Reed um, at some point in time, we will – uh, talk about those claims and the reasons that they were denied. Okay. And then there are some other cases that we've covered over the years uh, that basically nothing's happening. Um, Brian Draper, we I referred to earlier, Christopher Dunch, uh, he didn't seek a writ to U.S. Supreme Court. His conviction and sentence are now final. Uh, his petition for a discretionary review has been denied. Mm-hmm. And um, he is uh, – a, a law firm has requested the <coughs> Court of Appeal and trial court records, so they are probably working on a post-conviction writ as we speak. Hmm. And then Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Justin S. Kelly – Obviously, it's nothing's happening there. Nine years, eight years since they entered their Alfred pleas. Uh, their suspended imposition of sentence agreements are going to expire in 2021, and they still have not sought to vacate those Alfred pleas, nor have they sought any declaration by court of their actual innocence. Mm hmm. 
and um, they said they took the plea so that they could prove their innocence from outside. Well, it's been eight years. You've been outside. Uh, all it seems like Eccles is getting tattoos. Baldwin's <laughs> collecting right. money for a book that he's never going to write. And Ms. Kelly's trying to get himself sent back to ADC uh, because I, I hear that he keeps having little run-ins with the cops in Marion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and West Memphis. Yep, he needs to stay away from the booze. <clears throat> yeah. He must have been drinking Pruno and shit when he was in jail, when he was in prison. <laughs> he was probably making his own. True. Um, and bless his heart, he was already intellectually challenged. Um, mm-hmm. The years of paint huffing did him no good. Um, so, but yeah, he's he's trying to get sent back and he commits a felony <laughs> between now and 2021, and that's exactly what's going to happen. And he's going to go back for 21 years. Mm-hmm. True. Uh, Kenneth Foster, nothing's happening. Uh, we talked to uh, Nicola Hood, brother of the victim, Michael LaHood. Um, his death sentence was commuted by Governor Perry. But uh, he still hasn't filed any writs or, or presented anything that would exonerate him. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though, of course, he does have a social media presence and an internet presence that claims he's innocent. Uh, Richard Glossop, that is also Oklahoma is still trying to uh, get their executions back on track. I think they're going to go to nitrous oxide. Uh, nitrous intoxication mm-hmm. as a means of execution, but they're still trying to get equipment to administer nitrous. Uh, Shanna Goliar, she didn't apply for a writ with the U.S. Supreme Court, so her Nebraska conviction for murdering rival Carrie Farver in Nebraska has uh, is final. Mm-hmm. Scott Peterson, all the briefs have been filed, but the California Supreme Court has not ordered any hearings or oral arguments in Peterson's direct appeal and state writ, state habeas writs. And Larry Swearingen, he was executed in August. Nothing has been filed to exoner- to try and exonerate him through judicial means. Although David Fisher claimed that Judge J.D. Langley, the judge who signed Swearingen's execution order is going to be arrested for murder or manslaughter any day now because he didn't take the proper oath of office and therefore all of his acts are void. Hmm. Uh, but that is, uh, those are the cases. And then some of the cases we're going to look at just real quick before Blog Talk cuts us off. Um, We've got some interesting ones coming up. Uh, Of course, next week we're going to talk to Dr. Langlois and Mr. Amo. We're going to continue our discussion uh, about horse racing and horse racing controversies next week. Uh, And then we're going to have a special episode that we're going to upload or go live on on January 19th, 2020 which would have been Stacy Stites' 43rd birthday. 
Oh, wow. Yeah? I guess, if my math wow. is correct, and I suck at math. No. <laughs> How, would she be 1977? 77, 87, 97, 2007, 2017, so that would be 43 years, yeah. Okay, 43, okay. Um, so we are going to be talking to her mother, Carol, her sister, Deborah, and her sister crystal and we're going to talk about stacy mm-hmm. it's not going to be about the case it's going to be about stacy um we're going to record that and then go live with it on sunday january 19th okay and then we've got some interesting cases coming up we've got uh the murder of ann presley arkansas versus curtis vance We've mm-hmm. got the murder of Abraham Shakespeare, the lottery winner, with Florida versus hmm. Therese Donegan Moore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the Kim on murders, uh, Louisiana versus Antoinette Frank and Rogers Lacaz. Uh, and then we have, we're going back, and I'm sort of breaking my own rule because I've just always been fascinated by the case uh, State of Massachusetts versus Lizzie Andrew Borden. Okay who was tried and acquitted of the murders of her father and stepmother uh, in 1892 in Fall River, Massachusetts. Wow, that's going to be an old one. But yeah, that's going to be a good one too at the same time. It's, I like that. Uh, there's a, Well, you know, there's a lot of research on the internet, and it's actually – some of it's quite good. There's also some resources like Lizzie's inquest testimony. Mm-hmm. And testimony from her trial is available hmm. online. Wow. So, um, of course, she was acquitted, and I have my own theories about why that happened. And, of course, I will expound upon them whenever we talk about her. That'll be on mm-hmm. February 11th. Okay. Uh, and then we have a case that was on 48 hours that just hooked me. Like crazy. It's Oklahoma versus Quantel Jamar Alverson. Alverson. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a murder for hire case. Okay. And then finally on Mardi Gras, which to us is a big deal, but it's just Tuesday to everybody else, we're going to mm-hmm. talk about the murder of former Saints player. Will Smith, because I don't know what his position was. Uh, in the I think Louisiana he was a safety. Cardinal Hayes. Yeah, safety, I remember okay. that. Yeah. Uh, Louisiana versus Cardinal Hayes. Okay. <clears throat> and I might try. Good. I have. I although I don't think Brad. No, Brad and Will Smith didn't play together. Never mind. I may have. Um, I may have a special guest for just a few minutes. If <gasps> you Will Smith and he's willing to talk about it. Okay. What? Um, no, why were cool. you why were you gasping? Why were you ga- were you grabbing pearls too? I'm a, I'm assuming I'm assuming I'm assuming it's got something to do with football. So, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that gal. I mean, I'm just saying. Well, yeah, Brad Brad Edelman used to play for the Saints. Edelman, and he's Edelman. Been a sports commentator, Edelman, yeah. Edelman, is he related he's from to St. Julian Edelman? Too. No. 
Okay. I was about yeah. to say, I know there's a receiver up in New England named Julian Edelman. If I looked up, yeah. if I looked him up, I'd probably know exactly who he is. But yeah. Right now, he's not on ringing the, the bell. On the team that shall not, on the team that shall not be named. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then we have another older case that we're going to look at in season three: uh, Georgia versus Leo M. Frank. Frank was charged. And I believe convicted of the murder of a girl named Mary Fagan in a factory in uh, Georgia in the Atlanta area in the early 1900s. Um, he was lynched by mm-hmm. a mob. Um, and I don't remember the details uh, of, of how that came about, but I wanted to look at that case too, and there are again – some great interest, some great resources on the internet um, to that I can use to get some information. We're also going to look at Mississippi versus Curtis Giovanni Flowers, who has been tried six times for the murders of four people in a furniture store in uh, Mississippi back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was recently released on bail. His conviction, his sixth conviction, was just vacated by the U.S. Supreme Court, I believe, in an opinion authored by Judge Kavanaugh, Justice mm-hmm. Kavanaugh, excuse me. So we're going to look at that case. We're going to look at Utah versus uh, Ted Bundy, Florida versus Ted Bundy. Ooh. On I like that. March 31st. Which you alluded to at the beginning of the show. We're going to look at Texas versus Yolanda Saldivar, the murder <laughs> of Selena Quintanilla Perez. That's going to be fun. We've been working on that forever, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we're also going to look at Angelo Buono and Kenneth Bianchi, Derek Lee Todd, the serial killer in Baton Rouge, Tommy Lynn Sells, Rodney Alcala. And then on May 5th, 2020, I think we're going to go ahead and do a West Memphis 3. Ooh, another episode. one. Okay. And we may bring Gary Meese back. We probably will bring Gary Meese back. Mm-hmm. And he and I will just talk about whatever comes to mind. And then um, for the rest of season three, I'm waiting on Michael to give me some more. Uh, suggestions <laughs> for cases because I always of ask course. him, tell me cases, tell me cases. And bless his heart, he talks about missing person cases. Um, he asks about different cases that there's no court. Dang really gummit, I try though. Things. And so all the sources would be media. Although, you know what, I, I probably will make an exception one of these days. Because I'm making it for Leo Frank and Lizzie Borden, because I'm interested in those. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll look and see if there's a lot of information online. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't like you know me. I don't like conspiracy theories, the right. convoluted. Um, you know, if they're if they're saying somebody knew something and somebody did something because of this and that and the other thing, I don't really put a lot of yeah, stock in that. Absolutely. I can understand you know, that. When you, 
it's kind of like Judge Judy. You don't tell me what he knew because that means you're going into his mind and you can't do that. True, true. You know, so um, so that's I think we've got some pretty interesting cases coming up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I can't wait. There's some really and, interesting uh, stuff. Yeah, and like I said, when Michael gives me some more suggestions, we'll we'll see what we can do. <laughs> we'll work on it. So, yeah, just you know, I, I sent you the I sent you the updated schedule. Even if you want to right. handwrite on it and scan it and send it to me, you know, just make some suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or in Facebook. Chat, whatever. All right, so I think we've, I, I think we did pretty well with that one. Okay, sounds good. And uh, that is our, those are our updates for for now, and we'll revisit some of these cases. When I have a lot of stuff happening at one time with a bunch of cases, it's like, oh, maybe we need to do an update show. Yeah, I like doing the update shows. It makes me uh, remember things like um, – it makes me remember stuff that I had forgot about, cases I'd forgot about, things like that. So I definitely enjoy it. Yeah. So um, so that is it, and we'll look at some of these, and then we'll have new cases to update, I'm sure. So um, that'll be interesting. Hmm, definitely. I can't wait till I can't wait to finish out this season and you know get started on next. Obviously there's a few that I'm really excited about and then there's some that I'm going to be learning for the first time about. So definitely it's going to be a uh it's always a fun time here at uh Clay yeah. Convincing. We've only got eight more episodes left. Wow, I cannot believe that. And We've done 51 episodes in our second season. Holy crap. Hey, we we almost didn't even miss any weeks if Blog Talk wouldn't have screwed us. Yeah, well, I think it helped that we did a couple of times. We did, like, consecutive nights. We we had some bonus episodes, too, that we recorded. Mm-hmm. That helped. True. Because we had the Court of Public Opinions and the interview with uh, Kelly Blackburn, and I think those were the only ones that we recorded. Yeah, I think those. And I actually kind of, for something like you know, looking at Stacy's life and and who she was, I would prefer to do that, recording it, and going live with it, mm-hmm. so that we can stay on track and not you know get phone calls or worry about people calling in with accusations crappy opinions yeah <laughs> you know things th- things that aren't what we're aren't what we're going to be there for um, right you know De- Deborah and Carol and not that you know not that Deborah and Carol and Crystal aren't willing to talk about the case Right, they are. But they shouldn't be forced to be. They're it's not the ones just, on trial. Right, and it, but it's also just that I want to know who Stacy is. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. I want listeners to learn who Stacy was, 
and who she is um, and and who she was to them and, and what it was like for her growing up because so often we hear about the person who was convicted, the killer, mm-hmm. once they're convicted and their direct appeal, their conviction is affirmed, they're guilty. Um, there's no reasonable doubt. There's no question. If there are questions that you feel weren't answered, you should have been representing them at trial and raised them at trial. Um, mm-hmm. But we don't, you know, we don't hear a lot about the victims. Or we hear, you know, things about the victims that don't put them into such a positive light. Yeah. The allegation in Reed that Stacy cheated on every boyfriend she ever had. That's made by Rodney Reed's attorneys. Of course. To say, see, she cheated on every boyfriend she had. She would be cheating on her fiance. Of course. That's, you know. Gotta love hurting people or trying to hurt people whenever they can't defend themselves. That's just, that's just quality. Well, you know, I really, I honestly believe that they don't think they're hurting. Um, You know, I grew up, there was truth, period, Mm -hmm. end of conversation. Now there's his truth and her truth and your truth and my truth. True. There are shades of truth. And it's no longer black and white. And so these people honestly believe these things. You know, Rodney Reed's convicted of murder, but he wouldn't lie about Stacey Stites and having an affair with her. Even though he's sitting on death row in Texas. He has no reason to lie. But we can't believe anything Jimmy Finnell said because he's the real killer. Right. So... All right, I'm going to step down off my soapbox now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, all right, let's get this show put away. You ready? Yes, ma'am. You sure? Promise. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and want to know more, you can find us on Facebook. Go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien LN. Join us on Tuesday, January 14, 2020 at 8 o'clock p.m. Central for Episode 44, Horse Racing with Mr. Michael Amo and Dr. Brian Langwa of Thoroughfan, a 501c organization founded to retain and enrich the experiences experiences of existing horse racing fans to attract new fans and to give fans a voice in the industry. We'll pick up where we left off and continue our discussions about horse racing, including improvement of fan experience, controversies in the media, and efforts to ensure that horses are taken care of after their careers on the racetrack are over. We'll also talk about the work Mr. Amo and Dr. Langwa do in their communities to enrich the lives of all creatures, great and small. Until then, have a great week and stay safe. Good night.